Let's turn to John's Gospel, chapter 3. <clears throat> this chapter is probably the most well-known chapter, generally speaking, by Christians and some non-Christians would understand some of the verses and may have memorized them when they went to youth clubs or Sunday school or camps. It's a wonderful portion of scripture. Um, I know that some people <laughs> criticize Nick, they call him, Nicodemus, <laughs> because he snuck around at night time <laughs> and come to Jesus by night. He's a chicken, he's yellow and all these sort of things. No, <laughs> we're going to see different, I think, a different Nicodemus as we look at the word today. Because he was, he became bold as he became a Christian and believed on the gospel and was born again. Praise God! So that John three records the greatest message on new life ever delivered, I believe, by the Lord Jesus. That the, the next chapter is rivals it, I think. They all are good. Chapter four and the, the woman at the well. But you have this portion, wonderful portion in our hands today and I pray that in our hearts and I was praying that there would be unsaved people here today and I don't know where your heart is and most of you are regular at this time and so you you may have well I pray that you are born again and if you're not that today might be the day that you are and will be and can be born again but if we're already believers this should encourage our hearts shouldn't it the, the, the knowledge of this wonderful story of this real man in real life talking to the Lord Jesus. This is a wonderful message delivered by the Lord and probably the most, most well-known one. It was addressed to a deeply religious man, Nicodemus. He was religious, but he was dissatisfied with what he had being a very religious man. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. That's a very prominent position to have. They have a Sanhedrin now. They have 70 people chosen already over in Israel for future reasons. And uh, they're, they're, arranging, they're arranging garments and everything for the priests. They've knit them all up. They've got them ready for when the priests, the temple's built, and they can do that. That's what they're planning. But still, these people are very religious, I was talking to someone yesterday about going to Israel and meeting the very religious people. Very committed. They'll give up their job, they'll give up everything just to know about God, the Orthodox people in Israel. But sadly, they're lacking new life. They're not born again. They're not. They know of God, but they don't know God. And folks, we could be in that position. We could go to Sunday school, we can learn all about God, we can learn all about the Bible stories, but it's in our head, not our heart. And that's a real concern in good churches today, that that can happen. And the reality of Christian, the Christian life has not really come home. Well, I'm good, I live good life, I'm, I'm, doing, I'm going to church. I'm... No, you've got to be born again. This is the message that comes through here loud and clear this morning. So he was dissatisfied. And I pray that if you're in that position where you've got a head, not a heart knowledge of the Lord Jesus, that today might be the day when it shifts from head to heart, when it goes from knowledge to experience, and that you truly 
can be born again and that you'll be dissatisfied with where you're at until the Spirit convicts, saves and cleanses your heart. So he came to one, Nicodemus did, to one who had transcended the religious formalism of his day. And when you read the Gospels and read what the Lord Jesus did and what he said to the people of his day, and if you understood what the religious people were saying in his day, he completely cut it down. (laughs) He overturned it. And people were, wow. And the common people received him gladly. This is new. This is fresh. This is real. This is not that religious stuff, these conformative to laws. This is not hypocrisy as we've been so used to in, in our Christian circles, in our religious circles. So this man, Nicodemus, longed for new life. He came to find out here to the Lord how he could get it. And the Lord indicated three conditions. And in the bulletin, you have the three main points there for the start of new life. We've looked at the God's new thing. We've looked at the seed of new life, the source of new life, and now we look at the start of new life in different sermons. This is the start of new life. There must be, first of all, the sense of need. Secondly, there must be the step of faith. And there must be, thirdly, the sign of new life. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. And I pray that it would be a blessing to us who are Christians, that we can look back and say, yes, I remember the day that I believed that I was born again, that I believed on the Lord Jesus and his finished work. Lord, convict any here that may have been raised in Christian families but have a head and a heart knowledge. Lay a hold of their heart by your spirit and convict them of their need that they will not be satisfied until they find life eternal in Christ. Bless the word as it's shared and it goes out to others listening this morning. We ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, first of all, there must be the sense of need. We read in verse 1, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. In these words, Nicodemus was admitting three things that he needed which Christ could provide. Man is blind, first of all, blind in sin and therefore needs new life. This is his first admittance. Man is blind. He said, I haven't got it. I see that you have got it. I want to know about it. In Ephesians 5.18, it reads, 5.8, For ye were once darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. That's in Ephesians. We were once darkness. Nicodemus was walking in darkness. He recognized he didn't have the light of life, and he was looking for this light. In John 3, 3, the next verse, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And this means that without divine life, no man can see nor understand the things that pertain to the spiritual realm. They're spiritually blind. We are born that way. We're born in sin. That was some of the questions answered yesterday. All these things. And we're born in sin. Born unsaved. And that that is a result of 
Adam and Eve's sin. And if we were there, we would have done the same. God knows that. But we cannot understand the things that pertain to the spiritual realm until we are born again. Can you remember back when you got saved and you started reading the Bible and things just, well, why didn't I see that before? When I'd read the Bible and was not a Christian, I couldn't understand that, but now it's so easy. Why can't people see it? Because they are spiritually blind. Let's turn to Corinthians for a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 14. We read there, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are what? Spiritually discerned. They can't discern spiritual things. They're blind spiritually. We all were blind spiritually. And it takes the Spirit of God, doesn't it, to work, as we'll notice in a while, in a little moment, to, to break that, that darkness. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, again, it speaks about this blindness of, that sin has brought upon our soul. And we do all need new life because of this blindness. It needs to be taken away. But in verse 3 of 2 Corinthians 4, but if our gospel be hidden, it is hidden from them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them who believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. In chapter 3 and verse 14, on the same page there of Second Corinthians. But their minds were blinded, for until this day remaineth the same veil, it's talking about the nation of Israel, the veil untaken away the reading in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. They, they've still got the veil, the Jewish nation. They cannot see. The natural man, the unsaved man, can only say, I don't believe it, or I cannot see it, or it's utter nonsense. I don't believe any of that sort of thing. I don't believe there is a God. And in 1 Corinthians 1.18, it tells us that the unsaved person, the natural man, calls the preaching of the cross foolishness. That's utter foolishness. How could somebody die for somebody else and cleanse them from their sin? So man is blind in sin and needs new life. And this is detected in that no man can see the kingdom of heaven unless he is born again back in our text in the Gospel of John chapter 3. Secondly, man is bound in sin and therefore needs new life. Not only blind, but bound. In verse 5 of John 3, we read, Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. He cannot enter the kingdom of God. In other words, sin has so bound man in mind, heart, and will to his good works, to his self-righteousness, to his religious opinions, that without life from God, he is bound to go out into eternity bound in sin. He's got to be released from this. There's the blindness of sin, but there's a binding of sin as well. There's the bondage. And that word is used quite often in the scriptures. Yes, even in the New Testament and in the Old Testament, that we were bound, we're in bondage 
in sin. And Romans chapter 8 and verses 15 and 21. In these portions we read Romans 8, 15. We read this. For we have not received the spirit of bondage, again to fear, talking to Christians here, we've not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but we've received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. He is now our Father. We're not bound in sin anymore. We've been released from that. We have a new Father, the, the Lord God of heaven. And we need to break free by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ from the bondage of sin. Verse 21 of the same chapter of Romans 8. Because the creature itself shall also be delivered from the bondage of corruption. Sin is a terrible thing. Sin is an insidious thing. Sin binds us and it binds us to our false beliefs. You, you know, when you try to talk to an unsafe person who's bound by religion or an ism of some sort and you try to convince them that this is a simple gospel message and they're bound to their religion, they're bound to their thoughts. Uh, we were talking yesterday actually at the table, the dinner table at, at Wagga and we were talking about Mormonism and Jehovah's Witness and how that when you, you present an argument to them or present the scriptures to them, not an argument, or scriptures to them and they bring up all their arguments and if they can't win in an argument they'll go back to the kingdom hall and they will then debate about it and talk about it and try to throw everything around and then you know what they do nowadays? Then they change the Bible, the New World Translation, keep on changing it until it fits what they believe. You say, what? That's what they do. I've read testimony of that not just recently. And they're really bound in their sin. They're bound to this religion. It's going to take them to hell when the gospel is freely available and they can be loosed from that bondage. Terrible situation to be in. There's a lot in the Western world in religions that are bound in this, this grip. That, and, and, and Satan's pleased. Satan doesn't mind. He can keep his children in his, his fold, as it were. Galatians chapter 4, verse 9 reads, But now after ye are, have known God, or rather are known by God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements unto which ye desire again to be in bondage? <laughs> Paul was telling these Galatians who were going back to Judaism and the law for salvation why are you going back to bondage? Why do you want to live under that when there's liberty in the Lord Jesus Christ? As Galatians 5.1, I think it's Galatians 5.1 that tells us that liberty that we have. Um, yes, stand fast therefore in the liberty with which Christ hath made us free and be not entangled there with the yoke of bondage. That's Galatians 5.1. Don't go back to that way. That's the way of the old. The new way is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14 speak of this liberty from bondage as well. In Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14 and 15 we read, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death, he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Here came Nicodemus, 
a ruler of the Jews, religiously learned, well-respected. And he comes to the Lord Jesus, he said, I haven't got what I need. Something is hollow inside. There's something that is not satisfied. <laughs> Praise the Lord, he come. And he, he was bound by this and he wanted to be liberated from it. And the Lord was going to live. He was all his lifetime subject to bondage. He knew in his heart and in his mind that if he died today, he wouldn't go to heaven. He wouldn't go to the kingdom of heaven. And so he was worried. And he came to the Lord asking this question. And he was in fear of death. And how many people are in fear of death? Have you been around somebody that's dying? Some of us have. Have you been around an unsafe person when they're dying? Some of us might have been. It's not pretty. It's scary. Very scary for them. It's very frightening for them. And it's worse when they go. Because it's eternal. And they're bound in sin and they know it. I remember one man in the old base hospital that was there. And I was asked to go and visit him by his family. And he was very, very frightened. But he didn't want to hear what I had to say. I did share the gospel anyway. But... When you've only got hours or days to live, reality comes and you know that blindness. You're blind. You know you're bound. But God can deliver you through a new birth, can't he? Man, thirdly, is born in sin and therefore needs new life. He's, he's blind in sin, he's bound in sin, and he's born in sin. And we've really shared that already, but back in the Gospel, there, chapter 3, verse 6 of John, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. There's spiritual life and there's physical life. And physical life comes first, then spiritual life. And in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 50, it reads, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. So you can't get there on the steam of your own strength. It can't be in your own works that you get to heaven. You see, that which is begotten carries within it the nature of that which beget it it's the law of life isn't it we're born physically we are physical we're born spiritual we're spiritual if you're born a, a dog you're a dog you know you're not going to change that but if you're born a person you can become uh -huh, praise god that we don't have we're not locked in are we we can be saved and changed and become a son of god the son of satan to the son of god ephesians chapter 2 <clears throat> there was a father and son and they were walking down an English street once and there was, this is years ago of course and they come to a little show, a sideshow on the side of the road and there was a performing pig and he was, the performing pig was all dressed up and the, the master of the pig was, uh, was talking for the pig and for himself and uh, I thought, you know, you don't have that sort of thing but you know, I was in Wangaratta this week and uh, was walking along there near the, near the hospital. <laughs> you see it too. And there's this fellow with a big pig on a, on a leash, with a dog on a leash too. <laughs> he wasn't a performing pig, but he was a pet pig walking down the street. I thought, is this allowed? <laughs> but anyway, he was walking down the street. And anyway, this little fellow and dad come to this performing pig show and, the, and it was talking about how, you know, and the pig was saying through the, the, the pig owner, I'm so good. I'm a clean pig. 
I'm a good pig. And um, then the son, the boy, shouted, but, but he's still a pig, isn't he, Dad? <laughs> it doesn't make any difference. You can dress him up, you can clean him up, you can wash him up and scour him down, but he's still a pig. And you let him out in the paddock, and what will he do? He'll find the muddiest hole he can and get in there and wallow in the mud. And listen, folks, if we're not saved, the scripture tells us clearly that we'll go back to the mire again. If we're not truly born again, we'll want and hanker and desire to go back to the pig pen, to the wallowing in the dirt. And a person that says they're Christians and wants to do what they used to do and it hasn't changed, the desire's not there. You really need to examine yourself as the scriptures tell us whether you be in the faith. Praise God for Nicodemus. He had that desire. He knew there's something missing, something wrong. It was new life that he needed. Yes, we are born in sin. And you dress it up whichever way you want to. You can't make it clean. The Lord Jesus Christ is the only one that cleanses us from sin. Isn't that true? The blood of Christ is the only way to be cleansed to receive that garment of salvation that Isaiah talks about and that the book of Revelation speaks of. Romans 3.9 reads, What then? Are we better than they? And we could read right through this portion in Romans 3 and just see how wicked and sinful we were. We're unsaved when we're unsaved. Both Jews and Gentiles, they are all, all under sin. No exceptions. No matter if you're born... Prince Louis, is it? Yes. Is that his name now? Yes. Don't spell like that. That's, I, I had a hard time. <laughs> but it, no E there. Is there on the end of his name? No. Anyway, that's my English. But, but you can be born the prince. But has he got a sinful heart? Yes. Yep. Does he need to be saved? Yes. Yep. How hard would it be to be one of those that are born into such privileged position... And then to have to recognise I'm a sinner. Aren't you glad you were born of a more lowly birth? Maybe you weren't, I don't know. You might be a king and queen here, I don't know. <laughs> Heritage. But if you're born there, the, the, the opportunity to get saved is probably less in privileged positions, in wealthy homes. There will be more people in heaven, I believe, from poorer families than richer. The Bible says that. It states it clearly. It's with difficulty that a rich man enters the kingdom of heaven because they've got everything. They don't see their need of sin. They've dressed up the old man and dressed him to make him look respect, respectable. Romans 5.12 tells us, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have Sin. Not only were we born sinners, but we have sinned. We've chosen to sin. <clears throat> and in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. And that's eternal death. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so Nicodemus, like every son of Adam, was born in sin. In spite of all his education, in spite of all his religion and his refinements, in consequence of being born in seed, he could not inherit the kingdom of God, Jesus told him so. 
It's any wonder Jesus exclaimed, Marvel not that I said unto you, ye must be born again. If a person doesn't feel he is drowning, he will not cry out for help. If he doesn't realize he's lost, he won't ask to be saved. You know, (laughs) wives know that husbands know the roadmap even if they haven't looked at it. And they're driving along and the wife knows they're lost. The husband sort of knows they're lost but won't admit it. (laughs) And he won't ask the way, won't stop. I've learned I'm getting a bit older, a bit wiser. (laughs) Hopefully you stop and knock it, you know. England or wherever we were, <laughs> Israel up on Mount Hermon, I'm lost, help me. And the Arabic fella, the Druze guy said, well, go this way, that way, and go up there. And he pointed to the road. That's what, that's what I need to see. I just need to see the road. <laughs> and, yep, okay, we can find Mount Hermon and go to the top now. But how often we don't ask the way. We don't admit that we're lost. We need to. Unsaved people need to. We need to sense that need, don't we, as we've seen in this first point. The other two points won't be so long. There must be, secondly, the step of faith. Chapter 3 and verse 16. Let's all say it together. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Wonderful verse, isn't it? (laughs) With these glorious words that contain the core of the gospel, Jesus emphasized this new life. It's not merited, it's not inherited by human means, it's a gift of God, received by faith, believe. And for this to happen, the Spirit must produce this new life as we read back in verse 8. Of the chapter, the wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound of it, or you see the leaves or the dust, (laughs) but canst not tell from where it cometh and where it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit of God. You see, the Spirit of God was working in Nicodemus's heart already. It was bringing bringing him to a conviction of his sin, to a realisation that he was lost. Praise God for the Spirit of God that comes, and we can't see him come and go but it's a divine work of God that comes and knocks at your heart's door by the Spirit of God can you remember that time when you just were at unease you knew something was wrong and who was doing that the Spirit of God the Spirit of God and he does that to bring us to new life and without the Spirit we're none of his it tells us in Romans chapter 8 and so He makes us sensitive to, and he prompts the teaching of God's word in our heart to make us think of our sinfulness and our need of salvation. It's very serious to resist the spirit of God. Don't refuse him. Last Sunday evening, we were talking about the two blind men in Jericho. Jesus come to Jericho with a crowd going to the Passover just before he's crucified. He come to Jericho and there's two blind men and they, what's going on? They, they couldn't hear, I mean, they couldn't see and they, something's going on. Who's here? And by the time they found out who was there, Jesus had gone into Jericho. And Zacchaeus met Jesus there. And the two blind men said, we missed the opportunity. Jesus come past and we could have been healed. 
You know what they did? They didn't sit there on that side of Jericho. That was on the eastern side. They either cut through Jericho or went right round the other side and they caught Jesus coming out of Jericho. <laughs> and they yelled and yelled for him to do something. And everyone's saying, be quiet. Don't make such a ruckus. Just stay where you used to be. You're, you're bad enough without, you know, we have to meet your needs all the time. But they wouldn't be dissuaded. Jesus passed by their house that night. And when Jesus passes by, by the Spirit of God convicting us of sin, we need to respond. And the Spirit of God must produce this new life in Christ. In Acts 7.51 we read, You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart, and he is, you do always resist the Holy Ghost, said Peter to them, as your fathers did, so do ye. Or was that, that might have been Stephen, I think, said that. In 2 Timothy 3 and verse 8, we read, Now as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so these resist the truth, men of corrupt minds. We can resist and say no to the Spirit of God and it's to our eternal damnation and condemnation that we do. Praise God that I pray that you have responded when he came. Uh, <clears throat> the Saviour must secondly provide this new life under the thought there must be the, be the step of faith. The Spirit must produce this new life. The Saviour must provide this new life. And over in John chapter 3 and verse 14, that's exactly what he did and it was pictured in the Old Testament. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. What does it say? <clears throat> Jesus said unto him, Oh, yeah. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Is, there, is Islam up there? Is Buddha up there? Is Allah up there? Is Who else is up there? Nobody in that statement. Nobody else. So the Saviour alone must provide this new life. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. So his blood must be shed and was shed and we have eternal life. There is one mediator between God and man. And what does it say? It is the man, Christ Jesus. So the Savior must provide it. And thirdly, the sinner must possess this new life to be saved. In chapter 3, verse 15 that we just read, Whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 12, it reads, He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. You're saved or you're lost. Either you've got the Lord or you have not got the Lord. How is it when you get out into the world with you? Do you just go with the crowd and do what they do and say what they say and think what they think? And if you're like that, have you got the Son? You really need to ask ourselves that question. Younger people particularly. You can make a profession. You can get baptised. You can do all these things. But it'll all be in the head. And I say that from 40 years experience at this church. Where we have seen a lot of young people make professions. But they are not walking in the Lord's way anymore. And that would concern and does concern me greatly. That there needs to be that profession that's reality. And it's really 
changed your life. The moment Christ is received by faith, the miracle of new birth takes place. At once, the sinner enjoys new sight, new liberty, new nature. What was it? Twelve years old. And I remember going home from the service where I trusted the Lord Jesus as my Savior, reading the Bible, memorizing Scripture, wanting to be in church, even though our family didn't go. But my, make it, if, if, if Uncle Frank up the road was going to church, I'd go with Uncle Frank. If Uncle, uh, brother-in-law Joe, he's four or five years older, he was going to church, I'd hop in with him. Any way I could, I got to church. <laughs> and I remember... <laughs> yeah, I'll say it. <laughs> and I've, I've said it before, and was walking, there's a long pathway, it's longer than this church, out from the farmhouse to the, where the cars were parked. We're all walking out there to six us kids and dad and mum and we're going to visit one of our uncles. And we're halfway up the path and dad said, oh, it's Sunday. There'll be a church. And I as a young fellow said, oh, the religious fanatics. <laughs> and it really shocked mum and dad, I think. And they got started a Sunday school and got us into church a little bit. Yeah? <laughs> but you know, that... <laughs> But the desire came after. That was before I got saved. <laughs> I don't think I've said that since. <laughs> but the desire to read the word, to know about God, to seek him out, to, to know what he wants in my life, that's been a desire. Is it, is it in your life? Is that something that's real to you? Well, we'll go to the last point. There must be the sign of new life. And this came in Nicodemus's life. Jesus was undoubtedly referring to, the, to his disciples who had already received new life. In verse 11, we read, <clears throat> this is chapter 3 of John, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, we speak that which we do know, and testify to that which we have seen, ye receive not our witness. <laughs> there were some that did, and remember he's talking to Nicodemus here, and he's saying, you know, we, the Lord is saying, I know what I'm talking about. You don't know. And those of you, your crowd, <laughs> you receive not the witness. I am the witness, the Lord Jesus is saying to Nicodemus here. The Lord was underscoring the necessity of experiencing this new life in Christ, the utter importance of it. It's significant that the next two references to Nicodemus in the Gospel of John describe his confession of Christ before other people. In examining these passages, we observe two characteristics. Let's go to chapter 7 of the Gospel of John and verse 50. This is the next time that we see Nicodemus. Chapter 7 and verse 50. And we read there, Nicodemus said unto them, he that came to Jesus by night, just to clarify, it's the same Nicodemus, being one of them, doth our Lord judge any man before it hear him and know what he doeth? This is Nicodemus. Let's get the context of where he said this. We haven't time to read it all, but the context is the religious leaders, the Sanhedrin, had sent soldiers out, the temple soldiers, to capture the Lord Jesus. <clears throat> they came back 
And the Pharisees were furious. If you notice back in verse 45, the same, the, then came the officers to the chief priests and Pharisees and said unto them, Why have ye not brought him? They were upset that these officers had not captured the Lord Jesus. The officer said, answered, Never a man spake like this man. Well, that just infuriated them even more. <laughs> I said, You went out to capture him and you let him go when you could have got him? They were furious. And, and uh, <clears throat> they are ranting on these soldiers or officers that have been sent out. And Nicodemus is there, so the situation is pretty hostile. The situation is the Sanhedrin. And Nicodemus stands up and confesses. <laughs> doth, any, doth our Lord judge any man before it hear him? They were, how do you say, our court of law says, guilty until he proves himself innocent, where it should be innocent until you prove yourself or you are proven guilty. And they had it the wrong way round, and, and that's exactly what they did to the Lord Jesus when they crucified him. They, they really hashed the law up, their own laws, for doing this to somebody. And so in this atmosphere of hostility, Nicodemus challenged the whole Sanhedrin as to the fairness of judging anyone before they heard him and he gave his case which was a legal requirement he, he was a clear-cut example of a fearless stand for the Lord Jesus Christ he was a confession of a man that had gotten saved truly born again now ask ourselves the question what about us are we willing to take a stand and be fearless in our confession of the Lord Jesus. Have you, have you ever been in a situation where, you know, you really want to, there's somebody that the Lord is almost pushing you. Come on, come on, talk to him, talk to him. And you say, oh, I'm scared, I'm scared. Why are we scared? This is eternal, their eternal life is at stake. I remember walking, working on a little airfield, I was just beside the airfield, there's a little aeroplane, wasn't it? Crop duster things taken off, and I always keep pushing the, with the bulldozer stuff into a heap, gypsum, to stop the dirt in the in the in the new weir for Melbourne. And he was buzzing in and out, and this there was a spotter there, a spotter fella, and he was a very um, not a very nice morally moral person. He talked about his wife in front of all the blokes and things. It was terrible. And um, <clears throat> I was really convicted about talking to him. And every time I got the courage up, the aeroplane would come in. And you know those crop dusters, they beat the air like an egg beater. They got their props turned full cut and chopping into the air. And just shake the bulldozer even. And then I'd get off and here he comes again. Because he's in and out, in and out, flat out, dropping all this gypsum off. But I eventually got to talk to him. <laughs> he lived in Cockatoo too, right where I lived. I didn't go to school with him, but I got to know him on the job. But you have to take the step. I know it's sometimes scary. And the world is trying to make it that way, to scare us off, isn't it? Not to be a, a confessor of the Lord Jesus, but confess. We must. And be fearless in our testimony. We should be. Jesus has said, 
in Matthew 10, 32. Whosoever confesses me before men, what did the Lord Jesus say? I will confess him before my Father, which is in heaven. How is the world going to hear if we don't confess the Lord Jesus? We need to do that. And you all go out into all different places and workplaces and situations and relatives, all different to everybody else, that you can make a confession. Nicodemus did. The second time we, and the last point is in John chapter 19 and verse 39, where we find Nicodemus again speaking out, speaking out or showing out his faith. Verse 39 and 40 of chapter 19, where we read this. And there came also Nicodemus, who at the first came to Jesus by night, and brought a mixture of myrrh and alice, about a hundred pound weight. Then took they the body of Jesus and wound it in linen, linen clothes with the spices as the manner of the Jews was to bury. This is Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus identified themselves forever with the death, burial and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Almost sounds like baptism, doesn't it? <laughs> they identified with his death, his burial and resurrection by taking or be requesting the body of the Lord Jesus that they might put it in the grave. Can you imagine three days later when Nicodemus found out that Jesus was raised from the dead? The excitement, <laughs> the thrill that he was the Son of God. I did believe on the right person. He died, but even in his death, Nicodemus was willing to identify with the Messiah in this way. <clears throat> Have we identified with the Lord in the obedience of baptism? Here's a splendid testimony of Nicodemus has given new life in Christ. How careful we should remember this when we think of the one who came to Jesus by night. The threefold condition here of new life. There must be the sense of need, the step of faith, and the sign of new life in that we're willing to confess the Lord fearfully, fearlessly and faithfully even when death comes, death comes as it was in the life of the Lord Jesus. Confess him to the end. Any man, well, in Philippians 1.14 it reads, And many of the brethren in the Lord waxing confident by my bonds are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that we can have this new life. We can be born again, born from above. And thank you for this Nicodemus who came to the, yourself by night, asked about the way of eternal life. You've got to be born again, born of the flesh, but born of the spirit, physical birth and spiritual birth, to see the kingdom of God. I pray if there's someone here, a young person that knows all this, it's all in their head, that it might migrate to their heart by faith as they believe on the Lord Jesus and that they would be we all would be fearful fearless and faithful in our testimony to unsaved people bless us as we go our way in Jesus name amen <clears throat>